Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a singer, songwriter, and polymathic musician. Their latest album is Good Man. We welcome Miles Francis. Hey, yes, that is me. Miles, your single nature was written after an argument with a partner punching a wall in frustration. You say in the song, quote, something in my nature governs my behavior, unquote. What questions led from this incident? Oh, man, we're, we're, we're going to the deep end right off top, which I love. Um, so, you know, when something like that happens, um, when it happened to me, I, um, I'm sort of faced with myself um, and my whatever, you know, that this angry bodily reaction that comes out or, you know, frustration or just this feeling that I can't, I, you know, I can't express myself in any way but to punch the wall it really puts a mirror up to um, just, just what's going on, you know, and the main question is what is going on with me? Where did that come from? And for me personally, someone who has worked on um, and thinks a lot about topics like um, patriarch patriarchy and feminism and, and uh, all these, everything under those massive umbrellas. Uh, I, even I, somehow something in me made me punch a wall during a fight. And how did that happen? It's got me thinking about my family, about my, you know, this, this question of where did it come from? How do you normally tackle frustrations? It's a good question. I mean, that, that's, that is the question. Um, I think that um, it's a mixture of there at any given time it could be a mixture of influences to to make you do something like that i i you know there's the more granular micro level again of like what what how i'm dealing with things and how i've been taught to deal with things maybe from my own upbringing or childhood or friends and then there's the bigger thing of how um just what what like men's anger is in in the media, in entertainment, and how there is a sort of romanticization and uh, weird kind of propping up of like a man expressing his anger in a very brutish, dramatic way. And that stuff, even though obviously it's out there and not in here, um, it, it seeps in. So yeah, who, who knows really, but it, it helps to sort of interrogate it for me. Now, the pandemic changed the way live music was delivered. Sometimes it helped and sometimes it hurt musicians. How did your life change during this year, especially being in New York? Well, I think that first and foremost, performing is really the core of what I love to do. And so I think I went into a bit of survival mode um, once that was off the table it forced me to look elsewhere to get creative in other ways. And for me, I'm, you know, in addition to performing, uh, I love creating videos. I love creating, you know, obviously music, but things around the music. Um, and that's really what I, what I turned, what I turned to. I, I was finishing my, my record that's now coming out and I had just, you know, wide open space to think about, what does this record look like? What does, you know, what would it be like if I were to clone myself in my studio and play one of my songs from start to finish playing all the different parts? Um, All these ideas that when you're moving fast and in sort of normal 
or pre-pandemic life, uh, you know, it, it, all that stuff comes when, when you can, but the pandemic, uh, I was forced to just, just try to stay creative in whatever way I could. And then when I finally got the chance to perform again, uh, at the end of, towards the end of 2021 last year, um, it was just like a, a bomb dropped in for me emotionally. Cause I was like, Oh, right. This, like, this is the thing. This is the direct contact that I yearn for that when you're just online all the time. Yeah, it's fun, but it, it, it's, there's a shallowness to it at the end of the day. So I, I just can't wait to, to play more and more as, as time goes on. It's a palpable experience when an audience reacts to your music. How do you feed off an audience? It's yeah. It, one of my favorite things about performing is improvising. So, and not only in the sense of like creating music and, and actually usually when I play live, you know, I'm playing the songs as they exist. It's not improvising musically as much, but the improvising comes with an audience where an audience might react to something specifically that I, uh, that I do and, and it'll be positive, negative, confused, uh, interested, but not committed yet. Like there's all these different flavors of how an audience can react throughout a show. And I, to me, that's all fodder to, to play with taking weird directions. I love jumping off the stage and, and getting up, up like amongst the crowd and sort of feeling that energy and then going back out on the stage and, and, um, just sort of breaking, breaking the wall between us um, and then embracing the wall too. Um, it's just, it's just a give and take. It's a relationship that every single show is different. And I like to approach every show a little differently for that reason. Your dad leaves stars in the video for the song. Where did you get this inspiration for this? And your entire <laughs> family is so involved with music. There's a picture of you, your mom, your dad, all for the album. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, the concepts that I'm singing about and, and the imagery, the the point of it is a serious inquiry into a lot of deep things, but, but I, there is a humor that I approach it all with and my own parents um, are down to participate. Um, my dad is a musician himself. He did the artist thing. He did the hustling, his music thing, uh, you know, back, back in the day. And so I didn't, it didn't take any convincing really, because they know the deal at this point. I think they were probably waiting for at some point me to be like, okay, I'm going to need you to stand here and I'm just going to clone. I'm just going to, we're going to do a photo where I'm going to clone myself. I'm going to be here. And then I'm also going to be on, on your shoulders. So just, just stay right there and just like, look at the camera, you know, it's just, they're, they're the best sports and, they, we talk about all these, you know, they've, there've been a few times where they've been like, you know, my mom's been like, so what is that about? What, what, what is this? What are you trying to say here? And, um, cause you know, I'm singing a song about, uh, something in my nature and I'm insinuating that, you know, I get this from my father or I get this from blah, blah, blah. And they want to know like, so what do you, what do you mean? Like, uh, but there's a grander concept, not necessarily relating to them personally, you know, maybe some here and there, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful that we can all kind of have fun with it together. Miles, it's time for the Rocky Nate, eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no 
Ball pressure. Yes. I'm ready. Which NSYNC member are you most like? JC. Sh- Ooh. Oh, man. I think it's Justin. <laughs> Let's go with JC. Why? Oh, you weren't, you're not going to make me explain this, are you? <laughs> um, Come on. <laughs> JC, because he's, he's uh, the most... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just felt like he, he had a, there was a depth, you know, I, I think that J, J, JC or Justin, that was always the, the thing. And ultimately JC, I felt like was a more musical performer and had a little more depth to his tone and all this different stuff. Whereas Justin was the more kind of, you know, uh, immediately grab grabby uh, one where, you know, of course everyone would flock to him. And I feel like, for me personally, I'm not like that one that everyone flocks to, but I'm kind of next to the next to that person. Like, Hey, you know, this is really where it's at. Best place in the West village to eat. <laughs> oh, um, okay. I'm going through cause, cause I grew up there. So like, you know, growing up, Sammy's noodle house was my favorite. I loved spaghetto, but these are, these are all gone now. Um, they didn't make it through the pandemic. So I have to reorient, um, you know, I'll go with, uh, I'm going to give the shout out to Pesce Pasta, uh, just a solid Italian restaurant right on Bleecker off of Cornelia Street. Good spaghetti and meatballs. I eat it frequently. You got to pick one, Prince or David Bowie? Oh. No, you have to pick one. <laughs> you know, I'm just staring at these two massive Prince books I just bought. And I already have like five Prince books. And the bottom line is I, I, I've listened. I'm more knowledgeable about Prince than I am David Bowie, even though I relate to David Bowie more. I got to say Prince. What's your proudest accomplishment? Oh, man. I, I, right now, it, I mean, these days it feels like this record that I'm putting out um, musically, you know, career or um, creatively. This record is a record I've. I feel like it's one of those things that I've been working on it for my whole life. And, you know, it's like, uh, it's been a process and, uh, I feel like I'm just gonna, you know, there's tons of other things that are more important than making a record that have happened to me. But right now that feels like the most potent answer. What was the last time you went to the beach? Um, so my mom grew up in long beach, long Island, and it's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go out there, uh, when it's cold out, when it's whatever, I'll just go and just take a walk on the beach. Um, but you know, summer, I'm a beach person. I'm a surfer. So I, I can't even tell you it recently. <laughs> What's your favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. Oh yeah. Pepperoni. Yeah. Sausage. Close second. How about your best five albums of all time? Okay. Well, Abbey road and pet sounds, um, gotta be. And then, there's a Fela. So one of my favorite artists is Fela Kuti, who's who was a Nigerian uh, artist in the 70s and 80s, kind of James Brown of Nigeria. And he released all his music as singles. They're all these like 15 minute songs. So I'm just going to go ahead and say the Fela Kuti greatest hits because it kind of encompasses all of it as like a third album. Um <laughs> And then that's cheating. I'll allow it. <laughs> Sly, Sly and the Family Stone, probably. Um, Stand by Sly. 
and oh god a uh, print i gotta do prints um prints uh I, I know i know silence is really good for for a podcast slash radio show so um yeah prince i'm gonna go with uh controversy by prince afrobeat diva pop hip-hop classics or throwback jams one has to go the others can stay forever which one do you get rid of oh god um Okay, Afrobeat's got to stay because Afrobeat helped me find myself, so I, I really can't just ditch it like that. Um, hip-hop has got to stay because of the rhythm. Um, diva pop has to stay because of the the celebration. The, the uh, I, I got to say throwback jams might have to go. Um, I feel like even though it's such a big part of my life, I I think, you know, I, I think it could stand to 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 rest. So um, that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> it's time for the back half with singer songwriter, polymathic musician Miles Francis. Beyond the mic, their latest album is Good Man. Miles, who makes you laugh? Jim Carrey. Uh, there's a podcast called Hollywood Handbook that I'm obsessed with. And I'm just going to stay with those, those two. Which is the most underrated venue you've ever played in and the venue you've dreamed to play, but haven't yet. Mm. The most underrated venue that I've played is, I would say a little venue in Brooklyn called in bed Brooklyn called come on everybody. And it, they've they've provided a home for me and so many others, and and they're just wonderful to artists and staff and all everyone who walks in there. So that's that one. And the venue that I would dream to play as Miles Francis on the stage would be the big, the only one in New York that. I've dreamt of my whole life, which is MSG from superhuman happiness to MFA to anti-ballast, the musical impact you have been a part of is long and diverse. You've worked with the roots among many other artists. Where do you get your inspiration for music? Each, each band I've been in uh, has, there's been a sort of mentorship aspect that I've really been grateful for because I've learned that it's rare to, you know, when you're coming up to, come to cross with people that actually care enough to take time to teach you things and, and bring you through the process. So when I entered my professional career, I was 19 when I went on my first like international tour, I was with people that, that were shepherding me through. Um, and that has happened with Antibalas, with, uh, Will Butler of Arcade Fire, who I also play with. And I'd say through each of those things, th- those periods in my life, um, I have, it's like a, a piece of me. And when I go to make music or when I just, the way I exist as an artist, whether it's actually the music part or it's the visual part or the performing part, I take a little of subconsciously take a little of um, everything that I've every front man that I've backed up every um, you know little experience I've had it all seeps in so 
I would say besides my main, you know, my musical influences, my, my like idols, which is, you know, the, the princes, the David Bowie's and all these, the David Burns, I also take my personal mentors as deep, heavy, heavy influences on just what I, how I know how to be an artist, how I know how to pursue my own voice and embrace it. You've helped create the music freeze all festival. Why was this important for you? Oh man, that, that nobody has asked me that. Um, so thank you. Um, I created that when I was in college, uh, because I just simply wanted to bring people together. I love curating a show. I love planning a show and, and sort of bringing together different artists of different genres creating a bill that is not just the same thing over and over, but having diversity and, and variety and bringing people together under one umbrella. Um, and I've always loved that. And I still, to this day, try to do that in my work. And that was my first go at it really. And, um, you know, maybe someday I'll resurrect it, but, um, it served as a really amazing learning experience, uh, you know, I've, I've been booking shows since I was in high school in New York City and um, that experience in particular of planning a music festival while I'm in a college music theory class and not paying attention at all, but making something else out of it. Um, that was a that was a huge part of my part of my um evolution so yeah thank you for asking that if you're enjoying these conversations please check out another beyond the mic episode to find more actors artists and people you need to know we'd also appreciate a like and subscribe on the good pods app singer songwriter and polymathic musician their latest album is good man we welcome miles francis talking about college how did your time at the steinhardt school of culture education and human development prepare you and in some cases, not prepare you for the real world. It, uh, you know, it's a tricky question. I, I think that um, the main takeaway from college was the people that I met and the people who I started a band with. The, you know, it, it it gave me an opportunity to really find my musical voice um, and just jump off into the world from there. But like, you know, there's also a lot of shortcomings about how music is taught in schools. And I always, since college, I've had a chip on my shoulder specifically about how little rhythm is emphasized in music schools. It's all about harmony and melody and rhythm is always a little bit of an afterthought. So I think someday I'll, I'll, I'll like have some sort of school campaign where I'm trying to get rhythm back into the classroom. But until then, it's just a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> if someone doesn't understand a polymathic musician, how would you describe it? <laughs> You'll have to ask my publicist. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, that uh, I, you know, there's some artists that are very clear cut. They fit into certain boxes really well. And that is a blessing. And, um, something that I, you know, on, on good days, I respect it on bad days. I envy it. But for me, I'm cut in many different ways. I have many different influences. And when I sit down to make a song, <clears throat> it's not like I'm making a, uh, folk tune one day and a metal tune the next day. Um, it's more like 
you know, this song has a little bit of this feel, this song has a little bit of this feel, and I'm making the music all on my own. Um, and it's really just what my body is feeling that day. And that is the song. And that isn't always uh, fitting. It doesn't fit into your, uh, you know, chill out Spotify playlist or your, or your uh, running uh, Spotify playlist or your walking Spotify playlist. You know, sometimes I write a song where, yeah, it's good to walk for the first half and then you got to run. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's that's, that's, I guess what being a polymathic artist is. <laughs> you like making shapes with your hands to come up with guitar parts. Why does this work for you? Uh, well, basically drums are, are my uh, like, kind of trained instrument it's what i played my whole life and uh went to college for it and it was always my focus but guitar and bass and keyboard and vocals um i never really took any formal lessons on any of those instruments and i grew to sort of keep it that way because it you know i retain a sort of childlike wonder with those instruments um in a way that with drums, I can still access that, but it takes a sort of conscious turning off, flipping off of a switch. And so with guitar, I love just the idea of like, I'm going to, I'm going to play this chord, but then I'm going to just move my finger, just one string over or one fret over. And then it becomes another thing. And, you know, then there's, there's your verse right there. And then the chorus, Oh, I'm going to move my finger over here. And then I'm in that shape. Um, and then the problem comes when I'm trying to like write down the chords to my songs and I'm like, Oh God, I got to Google this because what is this? What path would your life been on if you hadn't met Billy Martin of Medeski Martin and Wood? Oh, Billy Martin is one of those mentor figures that I was talking about earlier that, um, you know, he, he encouraged me. He's one of those figures that encouraged me to just, listen to my body when I'm playing to really just uh, use the drums specifically to express uh, any, to express a very specific thing. Like think of this and drum that drum it, you know, like that idea. Um, And just the way that he conducts himself as an artist who, you know, he has a family, he has a, a space, you know, his home, it's all, you know, he's carved out a niche for himself and it's just very him, you know, it's just, he is his own little world that you can step into. That idea um, is something I, I strive towards. Has your love of music evolved in, in which way? Yes. Um, well, I don't know. Sometimes I think it really hasn't <laughs> like, I'm just the same. I'm just the same person just like with a different, you know, in a different phase, but I, at this point right now feel like I've, you know, kind of, I'm at the culmination of a few different phases of deep study of certain musics and it's all kind of coalescing. So I had a huge Afrobeat phase uh, where I was just deep into that music. Then I had a deep Prince and funk phase and um, the and then th- this is all p- preceded by just being obsessed with pop music and starting with boy bands and all the way up till you know all or all extending out to you know Bowie or Madonna or Robin or like you know any, any really any pop music like that 
And so all of those things have coalesced in, in a way that it feels like within one song, I'm kind of pulling from those three worlds as opposed to before where it felt like I was really in one world at a time. What musician do you love that others may have misunderstood? I'm going to, I'm going to go personal and, and say my dad, uh, my dad, Leif Arnson is a musician that I love that, um, you know, not to turn this into a therapy session, but that I, I wish, uh, more people, you know, back when he was, um, you know, making music more full time, you know, I, I think he had a really special voice and, um, I now I'm planning on recording some songs with him and putting them on online because, you know, his, his music all existed before um, the, the streaming wars and everything. So um, yeah, props and shout out to my dad because he, he uh, made me artistically, he, he set me up to be where I am today. How do you describe your musical voice now? Oh gosh. Um, I really, have no clue. I, 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 I have trouble describing my own music. All I end up saying is it's just me. So if you, if you know me and you hear my music, you can hear the little, the, the, you know, when you go inside of a clock and you can, and you can kind of see all the little functions and how all the little parts are working and, and doing their little job. Like to me, that is, my music is me. It's me in the studio being as free as I can, just fully expressing myself on one day in a month, in a year. And it comes out and it's, it's like a little, a little part of me. So um, I don't know. And then some people just like to call it alt pop. So, uh, you know, go figure. It's time for one big question with Miles Francis, singer, songwriter, beyond the mic. Miles, you play music and perform as a non-binary but when you get off stage, you identify as a man. This dichotomy frees you up as a musician, but how does it free you? Yeah, I mean, the so I, I do identify as as non-binary, um, and part of that distinction that I and decision and realization I I had was that when I when I am on stage, when I am in the studio, when I'm playing music, I am what we have what I have learned as what non-binary is, which is just sort of um, floating above or not in a, not above in a hierarchical way, but floating above um, sort of man-made distinctions and language and all these things um, not limited to gender, uh, but gender is part of it. And then when I get off stage or when I leave the studio, um, I become in the world again, I become a man moving through the world as a man with other men. And, um, that started to feel like a box to me that I needed to break out of. And it's been a process of basically marrying those two things and bringing the, the miles that's making music, the miles that's engulfed in music and performance and, marrying that person with the miles that's just walking down the street or the miles that's doing a podcast interview. And, um, that's, that's been the process for me. And it's, it's a process, um, that I'm really, really thankful I entered into. And it's a, it's not any one, not any process with a clear finish, um, or start, but it's been an important, uh, part of my life and important part of me 
uh, feeling most comfortable expressing myself in the most free way possible. How have others accepted or not accepted this process? And how do you handle tolerance and intolerance? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like the, the way I like to think about all this is, you know, pe- people that might not tolerate um, things like um, gender fluidity or whatever, those people very well might love David Bowie. They might love Prince. They might love, uh, you know, uh, Madonna or, uh, I, I, you know, any other artists that their music was was massive um, and they also were challenging. Um, the only difference is that our culture now has the language to help us uh help us identify ourselves in ways that, that are empowering and, and not kind of try to fit into uh, boxes that are already created um, for us to understand people. So, um, you know, I, I've been very, very, I, I initially was not sure if I wanted to be public about my non-binariness and then um, ultimately I made the choice to, to do that. And I've been, um, very, very uh, taken aback by how supportive our our like culture is, and yeah, there's going to be people that that are a little bit slower to come to the uh, you know come to the table and 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 um, you know change is hard and change is weird and it's messy and we're in the middle of a cultural change, a big shift, and it's going to be messy. And uh, so I would just direct people to any artist um, of, of our past decades and think like, what would they do today? Uh, what, how would they identify themselves today if they had the language? They like pepperoni pizza, want to play MSG, loves print, and describes his music <laughs> as all pop. Their album, Good Man, is available now. Thank Miles Francis for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.